I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. We are unlocking all of the most effective tools to help athletes achieve their highest goals in sport. Each week, you'll hear elite athletes, experts, sports psychologists, trainers, and coaches share their unique advice, tips, and strategies for success. Today's guest has a special set of skills. She's a senior sports psychologist for the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, which you'll hear us refer to in this episode as the USOPC. Dr. Karen Kogan has attended four Olympic Games as the sports psychology consultant for several Olympic medalists and their coaches. So obviously she knows her stuff. In this episode, we talk about everything under the sun, like coronavirus and the Tokyo 2020 Olympic postponement. We talk about athlete burnout, roadblocks, and mental health. You name it, we probably talked about it. She has some amazing insight and a unique perspective, having worked with so many high-level athletes and coaches. So pay attention. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're there, please rate and review us. It really does help us continue to bring on amazing guests. And for other athletes out there, it helps them find us. I believe there is gold in your future. So let's dive on into this special episode. Dr. Karen Kogan, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I am so excited that you could be here and lend us your expertise during this kind of uncertain season in the world. Oh, well, I'm, I'm happy to be here and hopefully have a few words of wisdom for everybody. <laughs> well, okay. I have a million things that I really want to pick your brain about. But first, I would just love it if you could kind of give us a little bit of your background. Were you, were you an athlete? How did you get involved in sports psychology? Like, how did this become your thing? Sure. Well, I was a gymnast. That was my sport. And I competed for UCLA back in the early 80s. And so that's where I learned about sport and competition and teamwork and teamwork in an individual sport even. And I was really aware of how my mental state affected my performance, both in training and in competition. So that's where I became interested in the mental side of training and sport psychology. And, and over the years, I realized too, it wasn't just the mental skills that athletes could learn. It was the entirety of an athlete's mental health. And so when I went to school, I did a master's degree in kinesiology and the emphasis was on sports psychology. And then my doctoral degree is in psychology. So now I'm a licensed psychologist as well as a certified mental performance consultant. And that allows me to address any need that an athlete has. It can be a performance need. It can be a mental health need and it allows me to treat the athlete as a whole person. Oh, that's awesome. Well, how now you said as an athlete, you already recognized that like the mental part of things was really important. Like what was there a specific moment or time or event that happened that kind of let you recognize that? Well, there were a couple of things. One is I developed a mental block on the vault. I couldn't get myself to go over just one day. Something went awry in my brain and the coach yelled and he didn't know what else to do. And, and it just it caused a problem for a few months afterwards. And when I think it, it probably could have been handled in a different way and maybe would have been easier for me to get through, but I did get through it. I, I got through it on my own and I figured out what I needed to do. And so that I think was the first thing that I thought, okay, there's something going on in an athlete's brain, my brain in this case, that really impacts performance. How do we get around those things? And then I had a bad knee injury that required in the end, three different surgeries and took me out of gymnastics. And I, I recognized how difficult it was to come back from that injury the first time. And then the impact of 
an early retirement that was not on my terms coming out of the sport and the emotional impact that that had on me. So those are a couple of things that stand out. But by the time I had the knee injury, I already knew this was the field I wanted to go into. I think that that just really drove it home even further. Oh, that's cool. I, I've been through a, a few similar things. I have fear is big in, in my sport of diving as well and um, had my fair share of injuries and, and learning to think outside the box and, and doing things and addressing like the mental game has really helped me too. So that's that's cool. I love that we kind of share that and kind of, can kind of geek out over this stuff together. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, okay. So at the time that we're recording this, Karen, COVID-19 has obviously drastically changed everyone's lives around the world. How would you direct an athlete who's kind of struggling to cope with these changes right now? I mean, all the anxiety, the stress, feelings of guilt or uncertainty. Yeah. How are you directing athletes right now? Yeah. You know, this has been something that none of us could anticipate. And I, as a psychologist, am still learning what the impact is. I'll share with you the the trend that I've seen. I, I think we started to see that something was brewing, maybe at least in Colorado, where I am, it was about a month ago and it was starting to look pretty bad. And so at that point, athletes were starting to express concerns. And I was talking to them about what these concerns were, what we knew, what we didn't know, just working to manage the anxiety. And then in that first week after that, where we were told to work from home, and we still didn't know if the Olympics would be postponed or not, there was a lot of tension around, are we going to have to be ready for an event in four months and we can't even train? And I think that was causing most of the anxiety and not knowing And then the next week, we got the news that it would actually be postponed. And there was a bit of relief that came from that, just knowing that there wasn't a rush to prepare. And then finally, the next week, we got the word of the actual date of postponement to July 23rd of 2021. So then we we knew what we're working with. So then things tended to settle a little bit. I'm not going to say that the anxiety went away because now some athletes are thinking about do I even have another year in me to be able to compete at this level and to stay in the game? Do I have that mentally? Do I have that physically? So those are the questions people are starting to ask themselves. And then if, if they were deciding, yes, I'm going to hang in for another year, now what does that look like? Because we don't even know how long this is going to go on. So at this point, I think we're settling into what's a new reality for us and not knowing But athletes are doing their best to stick to a routine, stick to some kind of a training plan, whatever they can do creatively, trying to stay fit in some form for their sport. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not over yet. We don't know what's going to happen from here. But I think this could start to be what's really a mentally difficult time because of the monotony that's starting to build. And people are already talking about feeling bored or not knowing how to use their time or, or not knowing what the future holds. And so I think now the difficult work begins the time where you know, we really have to rely on that mental resilience. So that's what I'm seeing right now as we speak today. Mm-hmm. Well, if we weren't social distancing, um, I would invite those board athletes to come over and play with my four kids because they're driving <laughs> me a little crazy right now. <laughs> Yeah, not everyone's <laughs> bored because some people have that going on in their lives. <laughs> some of us are a little busier. Um, yeah. Well, I, I love that you you brought that up, the whole Olympic Games being postponed. Because, yeah, I was, I think everybody was feeling that stress of just not knowing because it, it seemed like every day there was a new something like a new damage report, basically what's going to happen. It might be postponed. It might not be like it was going back and forth. So when there was finally a decision, I think, yeah, at least we were all like, oh, thank goodness there's a decision. Now I've got to figure out what I'm going to do with that. And, and, you know, I was really thankful because 
they've never postponed an Olympic Games before. It, if it's either been right. canceled or like in 1980, my coach and, and a lot of diving coaches were part of the 1980 Olympic team that boycotted and they, they made yes. the Olympic team and then couldn't even attend. So at least we have an option to continue going and not have to wait another four years or be done. But still, like you said, a lot of athletes, I mean, in some sports, you know, timing is everything too. And so this will drastically change that. Like what... I guess what kind of impact and moving the Olympic Games a year ahead, changing all of the trials. Some they said anybody who's qualified is still qualified, but you know, like my sport, we still have to qualify Olympic spots yet, you know, in another World Cup event or something. So I guess how do you kind of suggest for people to course correct right now? Not not even just worrying about the boredom currently, but like how do they begin planning for the future? Well, first of all, what I see going on now, I would liken it to a post-Olympic letdown but without the Olympics. <laughs> so normally when you have an Olympic Games, as I'm sure you remember, you know, there's all this hype around it and so much excitement, so much energy. And then after it's done and everyone goes home and you're kind of settling back into your routine, there's kind of this letdown, like, okay, now what? You know, and, and athletes experience that in different ways. Even if they did well at the Olympic Games, sometimes that letdown is a little bit difficult as they try to figure out what's next. And mm -hmm. and that's what I'm hearing a lot of right now, except we didn't even have the Olympics. You know, we didn't have a way of getting that energy out or we didn't have all the positive things that go along with the Olympic experience. Now we're just dealing with this 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 letdown time and and plus we can't even go out and do anything. You know, it's it's really it's disconcerting for a number of athletes. So you know, what, what I have encouraged athletes to do is to really honor the feelings that they have, whatever those are. If it's sadness or grief, because this is a loss mm -hmm. sorts, then we, we honor that. If it's some sort of relief because they're coming back from an injury, maybe weren't quite ready and now they've got a little more time. So maybe a better chance, you know, that's fine too. Whatever that feeling they have, we need to honor that and, and talk through it and work through it. And I think each athlete is going to find their own individual way through this, but um, it, it's really, we are in this uncharted territory. There are some similarities, I think, to that 1980 boycott, you know, because athletes were expecting to go and then they weren't. Mm -hmm. So there's some similarities that way, but this one is different because now it's happened to the whole world this way, as opposed to a country choosing to back out. So I, I do see some parallels there and we're going to see how this one unfolds. It could be different than anything else. Yeah, I love that you said to to grieve if that's how you feel. I think people forget that that like you have to have that outlet. If you just hold it in, it's just gonna it's gonna blow up down the road. And it's it's okay to grieve dreams or hopes and things like that when it doesn't play out like you want it. I think you have to yeah, you have to let that out and express it in order to move past it, right? Yes, absolutely. And and I think that we we don't do ourselves any favors by trying to push it aside or pretend like it's not there or try to keep that stiff upper lip. You know, I think it's really important for athletes to talk honestly to the people they trust about how they feel and, and what they need. And maybe they're going to be a lot of tears. Maybe there's going to be frustration. All of that is completely valid in, in this circumstance. And, you know, in some ways there's no one to be angry at really. It's this thing, it's this virus that has affected all of us, but you still, the athletes still have these feelings of frustration and anger and, and sadness. So they've got to put that somewhere. Right. Well, so how can an athlete that's in isolation right now, as, as 
we all pretty much are. What would you suggest that they do to kind of help them get back in full swing as soon as they are able to so they don't feel like they've had this huge setback? Are there any mental tools? Because obviously they're trying to do everything they can physically, but what what can they do mentally or emotionally right now to kind of keep them, keep their head in the game, so to speak? Well, there are a lot of things. And and as I speak with athletes, I throw a lot of these out there, then they can pick the ones that they think would work most effectively for their personal situation. But a couple of off the bat, you know, one is really to stay socially connected. And we're talking a lot about social isolation right now. I really prefer the term physical isolation because that's what we need to do. We physically, yeah, yeah, we need to stay away from each other, but we don't want to disconnect socially. So in any way that they can maintain social connections and, and I'm encouraging instead of the phone that you do video calls, um, instead of texting that you actually talk to somebody because that's going to just keep that connectedness going. A lot of the teams that I support right now are having team calls every week or every two weeks, you know, whatever their schedule is. And so all athletes join in, they get updates. I've been joining in and giving some pointers and some things that they can try. So that way of keeping the team connected has been really valuable. And then at home, athletes are finding all sorts of creative ways to stay fit. A lot of them are doing things like yoga or they're looking online for some strength and conditioning routines. They're also getting that from their coaches. Their strength and conditioning coaches are being very creative and giving workouts and programs. Mm -hmm. So anything like that athletes can do to stay fit, stay engaged. They can do it in groups on Zoom or some kind of other video platform. Mm-hmm. I think that's been useful too to to be able to do it together, but not really together. Right. <laughs> Sometimes, like you said, just seeing them and hearing them, you feel like you're together, even though you're physically apart. That's great. Yeah, exactly. I one of my teams had a a yoga session Saturday morning that I joined in on virtually, and that was a hoot. You know, that was very. I hadn't ever done it that way before, but it actually worked really well. So just you see, you know, twenty other people on there all doing the same thing. It's pretty cool. But in terms of the mental game, then a lot of what I'm encouraging is use of mindfulness training. There are some good apps available. Well, for for those in the audience that don't know, will you describe what mindfulness is? Yeah. So mindfulness is a a type of meditation. And in this one, we're really focused on some sort of anchor point, like the breath usually, and staying present in the moment and doing that in a non-judgmental way. For athletes, there's so many things they have to do that are judged or evaluated. And in this one, we're, we're trying to stay present, stay focused on the moment, but it's very difficult to do because the mind tend to, tends to wander. So mm-hmm. we're just noticing when that happens and working to bring it back to the anchor point, which is oftentimes the breath, and just learning to, to work that mental muscle to stay in the present moment. And this is certainly useful in competition. It's easy for the mind to wander to what just happened or what's going to happen. And you really want to stay present in that moment to do the best possible Uh, in terms of a performance. So this is a skill that anyone can do, but it certainly lends itself well to sports. Right. Well, it's a perfect time to practice it since we have extra time that we're not physically training to work on these things mentally, because you can't just get into a competition and be like, oh, mindfulness. Like you have to learn how to do that somewhere, right? (laughs) Yes. No, exactly. This is the perfect time. If you can't train physically the way you're used to, then you train mentally. So mindfulness is a really good technique. And then mental imagery. 
So imagining as if you were working out or training or competing, you know, again, whatever scenario fits. And I've been making a lot of those audio files as well and sending them to athletes. So guiding them through an imagery of a workout or of a competition. Then same thing with mindfulness. I'm sending some that are relevant to the current times, you know, Mm -hmm. managing the unexpected or managing change and things like that. So I'm doing, I'm personalizing some of that for the athletes, but there's a lot of general information out there that they can also access now. That's great. Well, what do you think, what do you think causes burnout in general in an athlete? Well, (laughs) that's a good question. (laughs) Um, A lot of things actually would be my overall answer, but you know, for probably, are you talking like physical burnout or emotional, mental? Probably, probably more emotional, mental burnout. I mean, I think we obviously all know physical burnout tends to happen from just overtraining or overdoing anything, but like mentally and emotionally. Yeah. Well, and, and certainly by doing something for many years and over and over again, that can cause an emotional burnout as well. If there aren't any breaks involved, I think that's one of the main things is that athletes at a high level get so locked into their training and their sport and and they feel they've got to do it all the time. And if they don't, then they're somehow falling behind. And in doing that, they don't take any time away or they don't take time to themselves or to, mm. to reflect or to center or reconnect or do other things in their lives. And I think that can lead to emotional burnout. Mm. So that would be, I would think, one of the number one things that can cause that and and I think just when when you've been doing an activity at an, a high intense level for so many years, there does come a point where it just you're done, you know. And if you're trying to keep pushing through that, then it just feels really uncomfortable and and difficult. So so that could be another reason too. Well, so I guess in, in some ways we could look at right now this forced break we're all having as as maybe you know a way to kind of just have that stress release so we won't burn out. I mean, there's kind of a different way to look at it, but. You know, for for those that that were maybe thinking about retiring after this summer, like I know I have quite a few friends that were pushing really hard. This is going to be their final games or even a lot of NCAA athletes that were, you know, competing and and ready to go to NCAAs and then it kind of got taken away from them. But everybody wants to go another year. Like, how do they avoid burnout at that point where they were going so hard? This was it. They were ready. And now it's like, oh, my gosh, another year. I have to postpone this life I was looking forward to. I guess what, what kind of advice would you give for them? Yeah, that's in fact something that's been the focus of many of my conversations. And again, this is all new. We don't quite know how this is going to work out. But for many athletes, they had this endpoint, and now all of a sudden that's been extended. And that feels very disconcerting in many ways. So again, I think we have to honor those feelings and and the uncertainty and and the change and the potential loss. And then moving forward, you know, what we're looking at is an individualized plan for that athlete. You made an important point there about, well, maybe now is the time to take a break because that's a lot to ask for an athlete who was pushing and pushing and pushing up to this point, thinking the Olympics were going to be this summer. And now it's another year and three months. Can they keep pushing at that rate for that much longer? So with this forced break that we have here, uh, even some coaches, I think, are encouraging their athletes, you know, just, just step back for a little bit and take this as your break. Mm-hmm. You might have been expecting to do this in the summer in August or September. Well, now we're doing it now. And that's just because that's how our world is. So let's flip flop those things a little bit. And the things that you intended to do in August or September, maybe let's do those things now because you can. 
Mm-hmm. But again, that's got to, those decisions have to be made on an individual basis in, in consultation with coaches and trainers and, you know, people who understand what the athlete needs to do for their particular sport. Right. Of course. Well, and I want to clarify one thing, because you, you've mentioned this a few times when you want to honor feelings or things that you're going through, you're not saying like lift them up high, but but more recognize them, right? Don't kind of try to squish them down, but like more just recognize those things that are happening. Yes. Yes. Correct. Not um, not try to deny or avoid or pretend that it's not there, but but more just be aware of what is for yourself in that moment. Well, so that's that's kind of scary for some people because they think if if I think about that, maybe I'm giving it too much power or it's going to be all consuming. Like, I guess, how do they separate if they're scared to kind of let those feelings come to the surface or face those things? I guess, what kind of advice do you give in that situation? Yeah, I think you're right. I think that can be pretty frightening, especially if someone's not used to feeling a lot of emotions. And I still think that it is a better strategy to acknowledge and face whatever is going on. And and this goes back to what I've talked to athletes about in general, in terms of dealing with competition anxiety. I know a lot of athletes want to say, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't feel bad. I'm ready to go. Don't show weakness. (laughs) Exactly. Don't show weakness. It's all good. And really, I think it's more effective to say, yeah, I'm ready to face one of the most important competitions of my life. I I am anxious. I am nervous. You know, because then we can take a look at it. We can see what impacts it. We can talk about strategies to cope with it. We can learn that stuff ahead of time. But if, you know, if an athlete is saying, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. And then they get to the big event and they realize they're not fine. We don't have time to really work on it. And I think it's the same thing with these other emotions. You know, if we pretend like they're not there and push them aside, push them aside, the the problem usually is that then they rear their ugly head Mm -hmm. right when it's the worst possible time. And, and you do have to perform under pressure. And then you're dealing with some of this other emotions. So even though it is frightening, I think it is most helpful to be able to express those in some way. And and maybe with the support of a trusted other person in that athlete's life, it could be a counselor or sports psychologist or or friend or coach or, you know, whoever they feel most comfortable with, but just to be able to be honest and real about that. And, And then there's some relief that comes in having acknowledged that and expressed that and that does allow people to move on a little easier. Oh, I totally agree. Such such wise words, Karen. I love it. And <laughs> it's funny because I think, I mean, as an athlete, I've, I've done this so many times, but I feel like when we try to push down those things we're afraid are going to take over, we're actually giving them power to take over. And that's when they end up exploding in our face. It's kind of, you know, our instincts are kind of wrong usually. Exactly. In situations. Yeah. So that's great. Great wisdom. Well, what do you, in general, what do you find is like the number one reason that an athlete wants to sit down and talk to you? I don't know that there's a number one reason. Maybe there are a few that tend to bring athletes in. And and one is, and often this comes on a coach's suggestion, you know, but maybe they, they do really well in training, but then it comes to the competition and they don't perform the way they train. So there's there's some sort of inconsistency and the assumption is that there's some kind of competition anxiety. Mm-hmm. So that will be one reason that someone comes in to talk to me. There are other reasons. And and sometimes it's just that um, they want to talk about life issues. I do a lot of that. And I, and I probably I do more of that than I ever expected, you know, that, that athletes are people too. And the things that go on in their lives impact them as a person and as a performer. And, and sometimes they just want to talk about what's going on in their lives, their relationships or 
other goals outside of sport, you know, what their future holds. So those kinds of things, that uh, is something that I spend a lot of my time on in sessions with athletes. And I would say, you know, sometimes also there are concerns about conflicts within the, their sport environment, maybe with other athletes, with coaches, with um, family members, you know, things like that that impact their performance too. That's so interesting. And yeah, it, it makes sense that those life issues, I mean, they, they kind of tend to sneak their way into the arena if there's no outlet for that. That's, that's a really, I wouldn't have thought of that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you can't really separate those out. You know, hopefully we have some boundaries or we can learn to have some boundaries. But um, but we have a one of my colleagues, Sean McCann, has always said everything is a performance issue when it comes to the Olympics. So, <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah. All of that stuff is fair game in our world. Oh, that's so true. Well, okay. What would you say, if there is one, is, a, is the most common characteristic of an athlete who is successful? Like, can you, can you maybe say the maybe one or two top kind of common characteristics in a successful athlete? Well, let me think about that one for just a minute, (laughs) because there are a lot of ways I could answer that. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is somebody who is not only physically talented, but that it's also mentally resilient. So they can manage the unexpected things that come along with sport, or they can handle the unknown situations. They're able to adjust fairly quickly when things aren't quite how they thought they would be. So I would say that that mental resilience is really important. Mm -hmm. I think the ability to stay present along the lines of mindfulness that we were talking about earlier, I think that ability to stay present in the moment and maintain that focus during competition is also really key. On the opposite side, I want to know what are the most common characteristics of an athlete who is struggling? I think sometimes athletes struggle because they don't really want to be doing that sport or they don't want to be doing it at the level that they're at, or they are burned out or done, you know, and, and haven't been able to find a way to say I'm done and I need to move away from this. So I see that happen sometimes I see with, with injuries or with mental blocks, if those aren't handled well, in terms of coming back from those, I see athletes struggle quite a bit in that realm. And then that leads to a lot of other emotional issues. Sometimes it could be even depression or high level anxiety. So, you know, I think the things that go wrong for an athlete, if those aren't handled in the best possible way, those can turn into bigger issues. And then it looks like, a you know, they're not doing well in their performance. Right. When that's really not like the root of the issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that, I mean, is that, that's got to be really common that people are having these mental issues, but don't realize it. I mean, I guess how, if you're, I don't even know how to ask the question, but if you're an athlete and you're struggling, how do you recognize that it's maybe not your physical performance that's the trouble? Well, I think sometimes athletes aren't able to recognize that. All they see is, I, I can't do things the way I used to, or I get into a competition and I fall apart. And they feel like there's something wrong with me. And so that's where I, if I have a chance to sit down with them, then we can kind of look at, okay, look, what's the whole picture here? What else is going on? What other things are you struggling with in your life? What is it that you're not talking about? Perhaps would be a question I might ask, you know, so, and it takes a little while sometimes to get down to the bottom of it, but then we might find that, oh, there's some, some turmoil going on at home or in their relationship 
or with parents or, or something, something that's been on their mind that's taking up a lot of mental energy and getting in the way of being able to stay focused on, on the sport. But it, you know, it's going to be different for every athlete what that might be. Well, so I guess, would there maybe be some good questions to ask yourself to, to discover if that is an issue? Like you, you mentioned, you know, I'm not performing as well as I'm used to. Like, are there maybe other questions like that that maybe somebody listening could ask themselves if they think they're struggling that might need to talk to somebody? Well, one thing I might suggest for an athlete, what I find is that when, when an athlete is struggling, they think, okay, I have to do more and I have to do better and I got to keep going. And instead of stepping back and going, okay, maybe I just need to take a moment and I just, I need to, to breathe. I need to step back. Maybe I need to take a day or two or a week off or something and, and sit with myself and reflect on what's going on here. Like what's really going on here, you know, and sometimes by not running so fast and furious all the time, you have a moment to sit and think and realize, oh, okay. I see that this isn't going the way I hoped it would. Or I see that this other issue in my life might be getting in the way but sometimes it is hard to figure that out with have, without having somebody else to talk to and bounce some ideas off of. And that's where someone like myself might come into play. You know, somebody who's a little bit more disconnected from it, more neutral, can ask the questions, can point out some observations, and then maybe get to the, the root of it. Mm, that's so good. I've always heard about this, you know, the fear of success. A lot of people have a fear of success, which is not something a lot of people think about. You think of fear of failure, that's very common, but there are people who have fear of success. Where does that come from? Yeah, that that's a real thing. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's a little harder to get your head around sometimes at first. Obviously, the fear of failure seems a little more clear, but um, when you think about the process of reaching success, there's a lot that an athlete has put into that already. They put their heart, heart and soul into their sport and their performance. And, you know, when they hit that level of success, it's pretty amazing. And then you realize, okay, everyone's now going after me. There's nowhere else to go but down, or at least that's the way that some might perceive it. And I've got to stay here. And that is really, really stressful. So if I don't ever get to the top, then I'm always striving and striving. And that's a place I know how to be. Mm -hmm. But I'm not quite sure what to do when I get up to the top or how I'm supposed to maintain that. That's pretty scary. Yeah. So sometimes I will see athletes who, and, and not intentionally doing this, but sabotage themselves in some way, like, you know, maybe have an injury, but don't come back from it quite as quickly as they might be able to. Or, you know, they, they just get stuck in, in doing one level of skill over and over and not progressing to the next level because they feel safe there, you know? So, mm -hmm. you know, where we feel safe, we don't want to venture into something that's unknown because that's sort of scary. But when an athlete does find success, there are a lot of other things that come along with that. Maybe there's more attention, you know, people are watching you more. People are criticizing you more. People are just expectations too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a very stressful place to be. So it might be easier to, to back out of that a little bit and be in that, that comfortable place. So success is really a complicated thing. <laughs> well, so how do you overcome that without just backing off and not being successful? <laughs> well, I think if we can label it for what it is, and, and I don't know if it's fear of success, but sometimes it's just that discomfort of having to maintain success. Mm. So if an athlete can talk openly about what that is, how they experience it, 
you know, what their concerns are, what their fears are, what they might be avoiding. If, if they can talk openly about it, then we can look at a plan for how do you overcome that? How do you challenge yourself to get outside your comfort zone? You know, how do you value yourself for other things besides success? So it's not just success that defines you. It's other things in your life and who you are and, and your values as a person and how you present yourself to the world, you know, so that success is, is not the only thing that matters for the athlete. So there are things that we can look at that way that might make it easier to open up to that success. And then if an athlete does not always experience success, it doesn't completely knock them down. You know, it's disappointing, of course, but, but then there are other parts of them that they also value that are not knocked down because they didn't do well in a certain competition. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is so good. And I, th- I think something you keep touching on is a- an athlete has to be able to talk openly. Like they have to be honest about what they're feeling and what they're going through, what they're doing and not doing. And sometimes that's really hard for an athlete to admit those things, too. And, and yeah, just to kind of come out with that. But I think I think you're right. You've got to be able to get to the heart of that to be able to move past it. So good. Yes, I agree. And, and whoever that is for the athlete, you know, it's certainly a lot of what I do, but maybe, maybe a psychologist is not the right person for that athlete. Maybe there's someone else in their life who they feel very safe and comfortable with and, and they can talk openly with that person. It's just finding somebody. Mm -hmm. For sure. Well, how do you manage distractions? Obviously we've got a bit of a distraction going on now, but just in sports in general, there's always these unknowns or these kind of roadblocks that come up? Like how can, how can maybe a distraction be used to an advantage? I mean, I guess, how do you overcome that? And then how can you maybe use it to your advantage? Yes. Well, I I really think that every time you have a challenge or something like the situation we're facing now, there are also opportunities that come with it. And if you get locked into thinking, oh, this is difficult and this is a challenge and this is horrible, you know, it's harder to see what could come out of it. But already we're seeing people be very creative in how they connect and communicate and train and, and view what's going on. And, and in the end, you know, we're talking about, okay, we got another year, you can come out stronger in another year. You know, there's always going to be those opportunities. So, so we want to be able to look for those, I think, and that goes back to mindset, but just in terms of, you know, distractions in general, I, I would go back to, the training and mindfulness and being able to come back to the present. And in, in practicing that sort of thing on an ongoing basis, you are training the mind to return to the present or to the focus point, even though it's going to wander and be distracted by these other things going on in the world, or maybe just in your own mind, but learning to train the brain to, to recognize that and come back. That's a very valuable tool. None of us will do it perfectly, but we get better at it. And the Research shows that there are changes that occur in the brain by doing things like mindfulness and meditation that, that um, you know, your brain actually does change and learn how to be more centered and focused. So it's not a, something that happens overnight. It's something that needs to be honed and trained just like any other physical skill. Mm, I love that. Love it. Well, how much of a role does like having a routine, I guess, how important is is a routine to mental health and kind of that mental game? Like is a routine really important or can it be a little more flexible? You know, I think, again, that may depend on the athlete. A lot of high-level athletes are very structured and like that routine and that's what helps them be successful. And others can still be successful even with a little more flexibility in that routine. But uh, you know, one of the things I've been talking to athletes about over these past few weeks is 
how can you stick to some sort of a plan and some sort of a routine? So if you get up typically at eight in the morning and then you have a training session at nine, then you have another one at three, try to keep doing that. You know, try to keep doing some kind of physical activity at nine, maybe a little bit at three. And then in between, you can do your mental training, your strength and conditioning, any kind of rehab work that's going on, you know, but try to keep that structure generally the same in your day because otherwise we just fall into this routine of um, going to bed late, waking up late, you know, then the day gets away from you. And it's going to be soon. a routine either way, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> right. So um, if you can keep to some sort of a routine and it's going to look a little different, that's for sure right now, but, you know, keeping to some sort of routine, there's some comfort in that, I think, and some familiarity there. I did have an athlete tell me though recently that with all of this, you know, staying at home and, and staying away from her sport, that she's actually thinks that she can get rid of some of the bad habits she had in her sport, wow. which is another take on this too. Like, hey, now's the time to get rid of the bad habits and establish the good habits. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, I, yeah, I love it how you're kind of like, basically, you're either going to make a routine or a routine is going to make you. So, Well, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. <laughs> right. You decide. <laughs> Well, something that you talked about a few minutes ago was kind of community and making sure, even though we're physically distancing, that we're really not socially distancing in that manner of speaking. So I guess how how much does community really play a role in the success or failure of an athlete? Like, I know obviously it's going to be a little different between team sports and individual sports. Well, yeah. And also between introverted and extroverted athletes. Yeah. So the introverted athletes are telling me that ah, this is just fine with me. <laughs> you know, I'm doing fine. And the extroverted ones are saying things like, I can't believe I ever stayed in on a Saturday or a Friday <laughs> night intentionally. I'm never doing that again once we can get out, you know, so you know, it's, it's a different, different personalities that way. But so I, I think it's obviously defining what for an athlete, for each athlete, what is um, helpful and comfortable for him or her and how, how many different people do you want around you or need around you and how many video calls do you want to have, or is, does that feel like too much? So it's really knowing what those boundaries are and, and how to set them and move forward. But we are, humans are social beings. We do need people around us, especially if it's a team sport. I mean, everything you do is dependent on this other group of teammates around you. So there's got to be some connection that's maintained that way and coming together over a, a shared goal. So, and even if it's an individual sport, you know, no one trains in isolation. You've got teammates around you. You've got right. coaches around you. You've got support from other people who understand your sport. So I, I think that's all got to be maintained in some way. But, you know, there are different levels of that, I guess I would say. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, well, what? OK, so with technology being a big feature these days, which has actually been a really kind of cool thing that that everything is happening right now. We do have technology to keep us in touch with stuff. But on a regular day-to-day -day basis, how do you see technology kind of playing a role in helping an athlete improve mentally? Yeah, you know, I think that actually could be changing after all of this. I think technology will play even more of a role. But and obviously we're in overdrive here now. <laughs> but I think in general, for a lot of athletes, because of the apps that are available both things like mindfulness apps, and then there are also mental health apps that are out there that can be used to help support anybody, you know, athletes or other people too. Those kinds of things, I think, are becoming more and more the norm. And I think we've been leaning a little bit away from 
face-to-face interaction and communication even before COVID-19 hit. But it seems like we could potentially do that even more. So I think what's going to be the challenge is how do you balance technology with face-to-face kinds of things and, and social interactions? But right now, there's, there's more and more technology coming out every day that athletes could use. You know, you could stay in your own home for a long time and, and still get the things that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the jury is out on that a little bit. We're going to have to see how that unfolds. <laughs> well, if you could give one bit of advice to young athletes coming up, what would it be? Uh, only one, huh? <laughs> you can do more than one. <laughs> well, I would say decide what you want. And there are going to be a lot of people in your life that have opinions and most of them are well-meaning and they're trying to support you, but it's really important to be in a sport because it's your choice, because you want it, because it makes you happy. And getting to a certain point in a sport and after years of training, sometimes it can start to feel like a job, but you never want to lose that enjoyment or the thing that got you connected to that sport in the first place. So every so often, it's really important to do a personal check in with yourself and and see, am I, am I doing the things that I want to do? Am I going for the goals that I'm setting for myself? And how much of that is being influenced by other people around me? And, and that's one way to maintain happiness and commitment to the sport, you know, to feel that you're doing it because it's something that you want to do and there's some value in it for you. So, so that would be one thing I think. And then another thing would be to start early on the mental side of the game It's very clear how to do the physical side and how important that is. But I think at a a young age, sometimes that part is not always integrated into training. And that's also a really important part. So the sooner you start doing things like imagery training or mindfulness or breathing skills or, you know, having pre-performance plans when it goes, when you're going into competition, the more that becomes a part of your routine and and the more those skills help you later on when the, the pressure is pretty intense. Oh, that's so good. Well, okay. So for the parents that might be listening, what can a parent do when their child loses? Well, losing is part of the deal. And what we're wanting our athletes to learn how to do is to both win and lose with grace. So you don't get to be a winner without going through some loss. And I I think learning how to cope with that early on is really important moving on through the... um the levels of a sport that an athlete might progress to. So parents can be good models for that. And so how parents handle winning and losing is very important. Athletes look to that, whether, whether you think they're watching or not, they are, Mm -hmm. and you know, they're taking that in. And so parents can provide a very important role model, but you know, I think also knowing how to talk about it, you know, we always are like, oh, great job. Congratulations when someone wins. And sometimes when someone loses, everybody scatters. Nobody knows what to say, (laughs) right? right? So being able to talk about both of those things, and I think helping athletes understand that, you know, winning and losing does not define you as a person or an athlete. There's so many other facets of who you are. And so a a tough loss is going to be painful and devastating, and there's going to be a recovery period. But that ultimately does not define you as an athlete. And that's something parents can reinforce. Oh, preach it, sister. I love that. (laughs) 
I just con- I feel like I'm constantly telling athletes like your value as a human being does not lie in what place on the podium you are, what your score is, what your time is. That is not your value as a person. And Correct. we we get so lost in that as athletes. It's so easy to just somehow flip that and, and tie our whole worth and value as a human into how we end up at the end of a competition. Yes, yes. Well, it's it's kind of how our culture is. So that's where parents and other adults have a really important role in in making sure we see that a different way. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So how can, how, or I guess, when should a parent react with a coach on behalf of a child? Because I know like, you know, parents need to trust the coaches to coach their children, but, you know, sometimes there are those moments when a parent does need to intervene or the child is not speaking up. I guess, how do you kind of, how would you maybe coach a parent on how to address a coach about an issue? Well, parents have a very challenging role because they've got to find a balance between being involved and knowing what's going on in their child's sport world and then letting the coaches coach the kids and the kids go through their own process. And I think that's one of the most difficult things for parents to do is to try to figure out when to stand back and when to jump in. But I think that keeping the communication open between the parent and child is very important so that if the parents are concerned about something they see going on, to be able to bring that to the child's attention, say, hey, I was noticing that that happened with the coach and how was that for you? You know, to get a, keep their finger on the pulse of how's their child responding. And, and certainly with, with younger kids, they don't, they're not in a position to be able to go to a coach who is at a much higher level than they are, you know, higher power level, you know, the parents do need to step in and help if there's a problem. But as the kids get older, maybe they get into their teen years. I think it's important for parents to teach the kids how to do that talking for themselves and how to sit down with a coach and have a conversation. It doesn't have to be confrontational, but have a conversation about something that's going on that concerns them. And then if that's not productive, then the parents might find the need to step in there at some point. So it really depends on the age of the child and the parents over time want to be backing away a little bit more and more as, as the child gets older and better able to handle those things themselves. But I mean, it, you know, in this, in this day, we as parents need to be pretty vigilant about making sure that sport is a safe environment for our children. And so parents should be involved in some way. I love that. Well, how how would you say athletes are today as compared to like 15 or 20 years ago? Has has much changed or, you know, is it kind of relatively the same? You know, my impression is that things are happening more and better and faster and and there's more technology, there's more science, there are more resources that athletes can access. And it's almost to a point where sometimes there's so much Athletes don't even know how to evaluate what's going to be the most helpful to them. It can be a bit overwhelming. So, you know, we're pushing people to get skilled and trained earlier in their athletic careers, and that leads to more injuries and burnout sometimes. You know, we're providing more technology to be able to be better, to, you know, to break world records, to run faster, swim faster, score higher, you know, do more flips in the air, like all that stuff. We're just seeing sports progress that way. I feel like there's got to be an endpoint somewhere. There's only so many flips you can do in the air <laughs> in, in the amount of time you're up there, you know, but there is this sort of pressure to, to do more, more exciting skills in the acrobat sports and to, to go faster and be stronger. 
And and I think that part has changed from say maybe 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I, well, I guess, how do we keep up with that? You know what I mean? How do you, I mean, not just physically, but like in your mind, like how do you keep up with that ongoing pressure and that push and that push and that push? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great question. And that's where those mental skills are going to come into play because there, there is a lot of pressure at even younger ages than maybe 15 years ago. And, and that's where that mental game is going to be really key starting at a young age. So, you know, recognizing that, that each person has a limit and that what you want to do is capitalize on your strengths, whatever those are. And how do you put your time and energy into that? You're not going to be good at everything. So how do you find the thing that you're going to be best at and and put your energy into that and realize that no matter what you do, it's not always going to be perfect. So how can you manage that as well, moving through this sports world and valuing not just the win, but the process of getting there? I think that process is really important, not just the outcome. So we want to start teaching that early on also. Well, exactly. And as as someone who has been fortunate enough to stand on the top of the podium on top of the world, you know, that moment is awesome, but it only lasts for a brief second. The things that you take with you are that pursuit, that journey to get there and to make the most out of that, because that's that's what's going to make you who you ultimately are. And I think that's kind of important to remember while the the gold medal is awesome and that's a great goal to strive for. It's that pursuit that's going to make you who you are in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing that stays with you. And that sets you up for success in other parts of your life, because most things aren't easy to achieve outside of sports either. So that that helps give you that that mentality and that process approach. Exactly. Well, Karen, thank you so much for sharing so much wisdom, dropping all those amazing like truth bombs on us and giving us all these tools. We really appreciate your time, especially with what's going on in the world right now. Oh, anytime, Laura. Thanks for asking me to be a part of your podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.